and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. We are now on Spotify, by the way. But uh, joining me as always for the podcast, for this emergency reaction podcast to Anthony Davis formally submitting, um, you know, a trade request, basically, is uh, Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? And Joe Wolfon. What up? We're, uh, we're not in the office today because Snowmageddon happened, but uh, this Anthony Davis news is, is piping hot. I, I felt like... You know, it broke so early on Monday morning that we really spent the entire. It gave everybody entire enough time to like write pieces, and we all wrote our own pieces about it. We'll talk about that in the podcast, but you know, it was on TV from start to finish, and it was just like more reports came out, sort of every thirty minutes or so, that really just kept you on your toes. And this morning, when I woke up, like the first thing I did was scramble to look at my phone to see what else Woj might have tweeted because. This thing is moving quickly, it feels like, and there's a lot of layers to this. Um, we'll start with the, actually the news items. I think the three significant pieces of um, reporting that's, that's out there so far is that, you know, Anthony Davis wants out. Um, you know, apparently, according to Woj, uh, s- several league sources expect AD and his agent, Rich Paul, to tell other, you know, teams that he's only going to sign an extension with the Lakers. He does have... Um, He's under contract next season, but uh, after that, he would be a free agent in 2020. Uh, Rich Paul also is under investigation by the league for potentially the way he handled this sort of trade request and how public it became. Um, and then also, uh, according to Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer, um, the Lakers, Knicks, Bucks, and Raptors are expected to make offers. Uh, Cash, we'll start with you. First off, is this AD th- trade request surprising to you whatsoever? Yeah, I think I think the timing is surprising. Like, uh the writing was kind of on the wall. If you read between the tea leaves of the things he was saying, um, you know, I, even when he first uh, replaced his agent with Rich Paul, and everyone was saying, "Well, I, you know, it means he's going to the Lakers." I wasn't sold on it. And then when he started saying things in the media about how you know, like um, he's going to look at legacy over money eventually, um, and then the reports started coming out that he probably was not going to accept the extension, and we were just kind of waiting for him to say it. I thought maybe this summer is when is when you know things would hit the fan. Uh, so that's my only surprise was the timing of it and the fact that it kind of is happening now. But I think that speaks to the fact that you know he really wants to be in LA and Rich Paul really wants him in LA and they're trying to get this thing done before the Celtics can come in and snag him. Yeah, I think that's yeah. If you, I mean, if you're looking at the timing of it, that is sort of the obvious takeaway, I guess. Um, and the fact that, look, this season just hasn't really gone the way that he and the Pelicans probably expected or hoped. Like, after they finished last year, I think they came into this year with a lot of, you know, hard-earned optimism. And it just went off the rails so quickly. They got off to that 4-0 start, and then it's just like the same thing. Injuries, they're too top-heavy. Um, and, like, they couldn't survive losing, like, Alfred Payton. And then Miritich goes down and then Davis himself goes down. And at this point, it's just like, what's the point of waiting? You know, like, I think he can see that this situation probably isn't going to improve in the next couple of seasons. So, you know, why not just put it out there now and get it over with? Um, I mean, that's one way to read it. The other way to read it is, like Cash said, he's just really looking to get himself to L.A. and, and is doing this now so that Boston doesn't have a chance to get in on the bidding. Yeah, it's um, it is a bit strange that um, well, first off, it, it's actually kind of unique in the sense that 
you know, we, here you have a player, a star player that has so much power over his entire situation, even though he has a year plus on his contract. Um, you know, uh, the way, like, basically the way it's being dictated. I mean, the Pelicans came out and said, oh, we're going to do this on our own, you know, timeline and we're going to do what's best for us. But, like, it really doesn't feel that way. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like the, the deck has been completely stacked against them from basically the start of the year onward. And it's not like the Pelicans are sort of, um, and we could talk about this in, in Wolfon's piece, but, you know, it's not like the Pelicans are uh, blameless in this whole situation. But it does feel like, you know, um, they are, Davis and uh, Rich Paul are strong-arming him to go to the Lakers. Um, apparently, one report out there says that the a potential framework of the deal would include Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Ivica Zubac, and a first-round pick. I don't believe this. I'm not questioning no. the report. I just don't believe that this is the offer because if that it was the case, already. yeah, Magic Johnson would already be done and LeBron would be back from his injury, quote-unquote. Done from being GM LeBron. It is really just convenient that LeBron has been away for like the last month and now AD's been away and, uh, and you know, they have the same agent. And, I, you know, it's just funny. It's just, it's just a funny coincidence. That's, a, that's also an interesting wrinkle, though, AD being away um, of this whole – uh, fiasco because uh, I think it was like w- the uh, the timeline for his injury. I think if he has a surgery is what like four to six weeks. Okay, something like that. Yeah, it's a finger thing. It doesn't take that long. Yeah, um, but I, wasn't there also like confusion about whether he was going to have the surgery? Like, could yeah. this be one of those things where like if if a team he doesn't want to go to trades from, and be like, ah, I need this surgery. I'm going to be out. Oh, the Kyrie move. Just saying it. Yeah. I mean, he has a lot of power in this case. He really does. And it's it's also like LeBron has a lot of power in this case, right? Because uh, here you have a player who's like, you know, it's not like Rich Paul only works for LeBron. He has a lot of great clients. Like we're talking John Wall, Ben Simmons, Anthony Davis, et cetera, et cetera. But like it is interesting that there is that connection there. And, you know, it's – come on. A lot of this is helping LeBron as well. And it's just – We've never seen a player have this much power in terms of um, not just his own sort of um, situation, which I think every player should have a you know good say over their own uh, situation, but also the situation of other players and how he can influence the rest of the league. Yeah, I mean, it's a player's league, and I think we should be a little well, bit is careful. Is it a player's because... league or is it LeBron's league? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, Anthony Davis is still a grown-ass man. You know, That's He's going to make his own decisions. He's not just like being... Uh, dictated like marching orders uh, on LeBron's whims like he was making this decision himself I mean in conjunction with Rich Paul I assume but also you know his family and there are other considerations there aside from just you know doing what LeBron wants to do Uh, I think you know more broadly speaking it's just the the league and the balance of power in the league has sort of tilted towards the players and most specifically superstar players uh, who can really alter the landscape with one trade request. And I think more and more you're seeing, like, they, the players are recognizing the kind of power that they wield. And so, you know, if you're Anthony Davis, like, why wait a year and a half? You know, if you feel like you can get out now and get yourself to a better situation right away, then why not do it? Um, just, just to kind of clarify what I was saying, yeah, so... Um, in O'Connor's piece, Kevin O'Connor wrote that surgery is often an option for this type of injury for AD. And the latest update from like his camp and or the team was that he was reevaluated on Friday 
could be back as early as this, as this week, but that also he's going to be reevaluated every 48 to 72 hours. <laughs> so it like, definitely seems like the kind of uh, ambiguous injury where if he ends up in a spot he doesn't want, he can very much prolong his absence. Yeah. Although it is Anthony Davis, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had something come up every 48 to 72 hours with him. Well, um, remember when Lonzo Ball was showing up in trade rumors in the summer and yeah. suddenly had like a meniscus injury or something? Yeah. It, it is a pretty incredible threat to just be like, actually, like the Kyrie thing was just so funny. It was like, you know, if you keep me in Cleveland, I'm going to go out for the entire year and cut my knee open. I don't care. I'll, I'll shoot Uncle I'll, I'll shoot Uncle Drew. It doesn't really matter. Um, let's look at the teams that are involved in this. You got the Lakers, Knicks, uh, Bucks, Raptors. Um, I don't think the Lakers is any surprise, and I think if you are the Lakers, I mean, this is definitely the time to trade for them, right? With with Boston out of the market, Cash, can you explain sort of why Boston's out of the market and uh, why it's so imperative for the Lakers to jump on this opportunity right now? Yeah. So the in the the last CBA, they had what was called uh, they put what was called the Derrick Rose rule. Um, that has to do with contracts and extensions that guys sign after their rookie deals. Uh, so it's essentially like, um, you can almost call it, I guess, like a super max off a rookie deal in the sense that usually a max extension off a rookie deal, you can get 25% of the cap. The Derrick Rose rule, I believe, if you hit certain qualifiers, you can get 30% of the cap, mm-hmm. starts at 30% of the cap. But part of the rule is that you can only have one player on one of those deals on your team at one time. And Kyrie Irving is already on one of those deals. Anthony Davis is already on one of those deals. So the now Kyrie Irving's gonna sign a new deal in July. Obviously, he's a free agent. So the Celtics can trade for Anthony Davis in the summer when Kyrie Irving's contract is up, even if they re-sign Kyrie. But until Kyrie Irving's on a new contract, they can't have both of them on the same team. Uh, I know some people on Twitter, like when I was tweeting because I wrote about it, some people were saying, "Well, why don't they? Why don't they just trade Kyrie Irving for him?" And that's kind of part of the piece I wrote about too. Is well, there's a couple reasons they're not gonna trade Kyrie Irving for him. One of them is Part of the whole reason Danny Ainge has been as patient as he has. And, you know, I put in the piece, part of the reason Danny Ainge has essentially told rival executives they can pry his young players from his cold, dead hands is because they want to pair two superstars together. They don't want to just replace one with the other. And then from the other standpoint, even if in some crazy world, the Celtics were ready to send Kyrie out for Anthony Davis, why in God's name would the Pelicans trade a disgruntled superstar with one and a half years left on his contract for a disgruntled superstar with 20 games left on his contract who's almost surely leaving in July anyway. Like it doesn't make sense for the Pelicans almost more so than the Celtics. So it's not happening. He's not going to Boston if they want to get a deal done before the deadline. If they wait till the summer, which they probably should do, mm-hmm. then obviously the Celtics are very much in it. If you're the Celtics, though, why not try to contact them and sort of, you know, before... Uh, they fire sale and dump Davis too quickly. Maybe if you're Danny Ainge, you make a phone call and say, hey, listen, I'm going to promise you I'm going to give you this, this, and this in the summertime. Just keep that in mind before you end up trading Anthony Davis or Zubach. Uh, I'm sure they will. You know, what, not... is, what is that assurance really worth? Yeah, I mean, that is true. <laughs> That's this a fair is my point. Thing. Like, and, and I hear people saying like they should wait until the summer because – the offers will be just as good and maybe they'll be even better because the Celtics will be in the running and either you get the Celtics offer, which could be the best one, or the Celtics. By the way, nobody's sort of ever present. gotten the Celtics offer. Like the Celtics offer <laughs> is just this is, ethereal and, thing in the in the background. Right. It's like the pot of gold. It's never there. 
Did you guys see that Kyle Anderson play last night at the end of the Grizzlies Nuggets game when he was like afraid to shoot the ball? Yeah. He had the clear lane. He was afraid to shoot twice, and that's essentially why the Grizzlies lost. Wow, they also blew a twenty-five point lead. Yeah, well, I, no, I was going to say if you if you guys or our listeners end up seeing that player, I've seen it already. When Kyle Anderson just likes terrified to shoot, and he's like uh, pump faking the whole time. That's Danny Ainge holding on to his asset. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. Danny Ainge just right, and then the, the fear of the God in his eyes, being like, "No, no, I can't let it go." Terrible. Over the over the backboard shot that he hit while stepping out of bounds is like the. Uh, after the trade happens when it leaks that Danny Ainge was oh so close to <laughs> making that deal. Um, but this is this is my point. Like I think for everyone who's kind of taking it as a foregone conclusion that the offers in the summer are going to be just as good, like I don't necessarily think that that's true because I think if you trade for Davis now, I mean, apart from whether or not he's just going to hold this injury thing over any team's head that tries to trade for him, like you are getting two playoff runs out of him which to me just seems like so much more valuable than uh just one and like anything can happen in one season right like it could all go to hell so quickly and so if you aren't getting like an ironclad agreement that he's going to sign an extension or stick around long term then i think if he's on an expiring deal then the risk is going to start to dampen the market a bit and like i think Regardless of whether you, you're you're a team that thinks he's going to re-sign, like if you get two kicks at the can with him in the playoffs, I feel like any team should be able to talk themselves into just about anything. And and I don't know if that's going to be true in the summertime. And like, if you're the Pelicans, if you wait till then, you're going to be a little bit more desperate. Like maybe the situation with Davis will have deteriorated. Maybe he gets injured. Like if he comes back and plays at any point. And even if that doesn't happen, like you just, I think you've lost a little bit of leverage come summer. And I don't know if you want to run that risk just so Danny Ainge can call you up and like offer Marcus Smart, Aaron Baines, and the Clippers pick. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and look, in some of the teams that have been mentioned here, like if you're the Bucks and the Raptors, there's no way you're putting the same offer on the table right now as you would in the summertime, right? Like the Raptors, just speaking hypothetically, right? Like they could put together something like Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, and some future picks. Right. And like Siakam would be a huge piece in the deal and really the main piece in the deal. Although Serge is also very useful and I'm sure he can be flipped in the future assets as well. Um, but like, you know, that's something they will do right now because Kawhi is on the roster right now. In the summertime, it, there's what the uncertainty with Kawhi. They're not going to just all of a sudden say we're going to trade Pascal Siakam for one year of, of Anthony Davis. So the, the deals, like you mentioned, are not going to be the same. You, you will have the Celtics get into the mix. And that is something that is, too, you know. To be considered. I mean, also, if everyone else, if everyone else has dropped out of the mix, it, it, same thing with the Bucks, right? Like, I don't think the Bucks are going to make the same offer they would right now as they would in the summertime. And if other people drop out of the mix, then the Ainge is all of a sudden going to say, well, actually, the, the deal is going to change because there's right, not as much I mean. competition. Exactly. That's what I mean when you when I say you they would lose their leverage. Yeah. Like, there wouldn't be as many teams who would be as interested in, in getting into the mix. And, um, you know, Ainge, uh, you know, potentially would have no reason to put Jason Tatum on the table if he didn't feel like he needed to. Um, the I just one... think... Yeah? Sorry. I, I mean, I just think, whatever, a lot of stuff can happen between now and then. And, and even if Danny Ainge is on the phone being like, <clears throat> yeah, don't worry, wait till summer, like, <clears throat> we'll trade you, you know, Tatum plus Brown plus this, this, and this. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, what if, what if Tatum explodes in the playoffs again and they make a run to the finals and give the Warriors a run for their money? I mean, I just think... You don't know what's going to happen, and I think you 
definitely don't want to like close off any doors because you're holding out for that Boston offer. Um, another big part of the, the Celtics component in this whole thing is also that um, you know Chris Haynes reported that part of the reason Davis doesn't prefer the Celtics is because there's some belief around the league that Kyrie Irving is going to walk as a free agent. Now everyone seems to kind of be debating whether this was just like straight up posturing from Rich Paul. Um, and the report also indicated that the Knicks are like second after the Lakers in terms of where Davis wants to be. And then other people are saying, well, you know, that's just Rich Paul getting some leverage and, and trying to force the Lakers hand into like making a godfather offer right now. Where are you guys stand on that? Like you think the Kyrie stuff is legit or you think that's just um, Rich Paul putting some stuff out there to keep the Celtics out of it and, and try to force the Lakers hand? Is uh, when Rich Paul is making this uh... – this play to force the Lakers to give it a godfather offer. Is he calling magic or is he calling LeBron? Also, is it a, is it a deal between the Pelicans front office or is it and the Lakers front office or is it between the ages and the players? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it is strange in this situation where, um, so many factors are in the air. I mean, look, I think if you're the Lakers, right, you might want to play hardball now and say, well, we're only give up like Ingram and Kuzma and you can't have Lonzo or whatever. But like, I think when push comes to shove, when we see at the trade deadline, not like, you know, the clock is ticking. LeBron is still sitting out. He's still, you know, in GM LeBron mode, watching the game, looking really uh, pissed off at the team, which is a great meme right, that's out there right now. But I think when that moment comes, they're going to say, all right, forget it. I, these young guys, like, whatever. Like, none of them are superstars in their own eyes, and that's all the Lakers care about is getting a superstar. And if you have Davis already there and the Pelicans are willing, and that's the thing, I don't know if the Pelicans are willing to take the full, like, um, prospect package from the Lakers, but if they are willing, then yes. By the time the trade deadline comes, you are going to make that deal if you're the Lakers. Right. Also, it's important to note that, like the Lakers at this point, I don't think it can be a situation like it was with Paul George or Kawhi, where they're like, "Oh, well, we can just get him in free agency. We're willing to wait," because I don't think they would or should be willing to wait a whole other year. You know, with with LeBron surrounded by an unworthy supporting cast, it's not going to be able to get him back to the finals. Like, I think they need to get him now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, like, you know, they're not going to go into next season being like, all right, we're not going to, like, put our chips on the table because uh, we'll just wait until 2021 and sign him out right then. Like, I just don't think they can afford to waste another year of LeBron's prime. Yeah, I, like, I think... More than ever and more than any other star player that's been available the last couple of years. Like, the Lakers absolutely need to go all in and go for this. I, I know their original plans and their grand plans were, you know, to sign free agents and keep as many of these young guys around as possible. But, like, we're talking about Anthony freaking Davis. Uh, this guy is, you know, in a – what seems like a pretty average year for him. This guy's averaging, like, 28 points, 13 rebounds, and almost three blocks. And I know numbers aren't everything, but you can just watch him. The eyeball test tells you, too, this guy is an absolutely transcendent talent. And we throw that word around a lot in general in the NBA. But, like, this guy legitimately fits the bill. There is even, like, I, I don't care how high people think Ingram's ceiling is. I, you know, I don't think it is. But no matter how high you think Ingram's ceiling is, Lonzo Ball's ceiling is, even Kuzma, like, none of them are even getting on the same stratosphere of what Anthony Davis already is. And by the way, he's still only 25. Like, there are a lot of prime years left here. You get this deal done, 
you partner him with LeBron James, even if it means gutting your entire team and having to figure things out along the way, because then you would have LeBron James and Anthony freaking Davis, and you'd be in a really good spot going forward, and you'd have out like LA behind you to entice like you know some solid vets going like. There's just no reason they should not be going all in. I, I don't care how much they value Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, and Lonzo Ball. Yeah, and look, this is the, the crux of the piece that um, I wrote was, you know, look, like, first off, Anthony Davis and LeBron James would make for an incredible combination of players. Like, I know that it's sort of, like, self-evident, but really when you think about it, like, they fit each other perfectly. Like, you got Davis, who is, like, a defensive player of the year candidate, and really the only weakness of LeBron's game, even right now when he's starting to get older, is just his defense. Like, he's not going to defend all the time. And Davis is great for that. And the one weakness in Davis' game really is just that he can't – you can't really close a game through a big man. Like, it's just kind of impossible to do that in the modern NBA. And LeBron is as good of a closer in the league as there is. So they they really do have really, you know, complementary skill sets. And also I do think that they could just pair well together. I mean, look, it's, it's Anthony Davis and LeBron. I'm sure they'll be great. Um, but the other thing is, like, if you're the Lakers and you're LeBron and you're looking at it in terms of championships, right? Like, I don't think LeBron's, like – tenure in Los Angeles. He might have other off-court ventures or whatever. He wants sure he wants to shoot movies and stuff, but really it's not going to be successful unless he brings a championship to Los Angeles, right? And then all of a sudden your Lakers fans will just, you know, he will be celebrated as a hero. Until then though, he there's still a little bit on the fence. And it's like if you're going to go for a championship, you have to beat the Warriors. And if you're going to beat the Warriors, you need very specific players to beat the Warriors, right? Like Anthony Davis is one of those guys one of the very, very few players, I would say like maybe five or six players have had actual success against the Warriors and their current iteration, right? And if you look at, in terms of play, like short of getting Kyrie Irving, which who knows, maybe they get Kyrie as well, but like short of getting Kyrie Irving, like Anthony Davis is the next best option in terms of players who have had success against the, um, the Warriors specifically. And, you know, that has to be a huge consideration here. I mean, 2015, he played him in the first round. He averaged 31 points, 11 rebounds, 56% shooting, right? Last year, he played him in the second round, 28 points, 15 rebounds, two steals, two blocks per game in, fi- in a five-game series. Now, whatever, they lost both those series. They even went 1-8 against them, but that's really more about the Warriors than it is about, you know, Davis, who I think in terms of guys that the Warriors, as currently constructed, cannot defend, Davis is right up there. Like, Davis is the guy. Draymond has no chance against him. Boogie is way too slow right now. Kevin Durant is already guarding LeBron. Like, what are you going to do against Anthony Davis, right? And so, if you're the Lakers, that has to come into consideration. It's not like you can just get another superstar, which is such an arrogant way to think. But really, for the Lakers, you know, history has really shown that they can just get another superstar. Anthony Davis is not just another superstar. He is the ingredient to going to beat the Warriors. And if they want to win the championship, they got to go get Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, I said this uh, a couple weeks ago when when we talked about what a trade could look like. I mean, the Lakers, if they have a chance to pair LeBron and Anthony Davis, like they do that and they figure the rest out later. And if that means trading Lonzo and Ingram and Kuzma and Josh Hart, like they do it. I, I just think, you know, they have a window right now to get this done. Um, and I think, you know, whatever it takes, I, I don't really think there should be any significant roadblocks to them, to them forcing it through. Um, Wolf, what about the, the the piece that you wrote about um, what this sort of means for small markets and how they could build going forward? Because, look, he did sign the Supermax and things like that. And the Supermax, actually, he signed the old Supermax. The new Supermax is, you know, already in effect. And he kind of turned that down. 
Like, is there right. is there hope for small markets to actually build and actually keep their stars, or is it always just a two contract type of deal where they're gonna leave for a glamour situation when they have the first opportunity to? Well, I think um, I think a good case study that would be Giannis Antetokounmpo, because um, you know he's gonna be in the same situation as AD like a year from now, and he's in a very small market and you know definitely not a glamour market, but they have the best record in the league right now, and you'd think if they can keep the band together, they at least stay like a quasi-contender. I think that'll be a really interesting case study because um, he seems like the kind of guy that would like stay there. But if you know, if a year from now the Bucks are good and we're hearing the same kinds of things, or if a year from now the Bucks are good and Giannis Antetokounmpo hires Rich Paul, oh uh, man, right? Like that, then I think then we'll be at a point where it's like, oh man, okay, there right. might actually be an issue here where small markets can't do anything to keep their guys. So here's what I would say, and, and this is kind of where I landed in the piece that I wrote. Like, they there definitely is a way and a path, you know, for a small market team to retain a superstar, and that is to build a championship team around him. And that's doable, but I just, you know, the margin for error is much, much slimmer for teams to play in those small markets. And And there's a lot of factors that go into that. I mean, one of them is that, they just don't really get into the mix when it comes to signing marquee free agents. Um, and they kind of have to plan with the knowledge that, you know, this superstar player that they have under contract is possibly, you know, going to start thinking about moving elsewhere, um, you know, halfway through their rookie extension. And for the Pelicans, I think the kind of tragic irony was that like they really tried hard to avoid that. Um, it was like as soon as they drafted Anthony Davis, they like couldn't believe that they had lucked into Anthony Davis. And out of this crippling fear of squandering those Anthony Davis years, they like immediately went into accelerated rebuild mode. And in the process, they kind of screwed the whole thing up. And like there are ways to do that where you don't screw everything up. Like you don't trade a first round pick for Omer Ashik and then re-sign Omer Ashik to a five year, $60 million deal. Um, and then dump him like for Alexis. first round pick. That was hilarious. <laughs> well, that yeah, right. And that's and that's the thing. Like there, there are so many moves that happened after that that, in a vacuum, were totally defensible and worked out well. You know, you look at like the Miritich deal, great trade, right? Yeah. But there are so many trades like that where it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But they kind of got stuck in the cycle where they ended up making moves like that that were defensible and then on the surface worked out but wouldn't have been necessary if they hadn't had to like clean up an earlier mess that they'd made or justify an earlier move and like even the drew holiday trade when on draft night in 2013 like they traded him for uh they traded for him and, and gave up Nerlens noel and their 2014 first rounder which again like that trade worked out pretty well for them but after they did that they could kind of never seem to like extricate themselves from that win now quicksand you know what i mean like after that it was like piling on one win now move after the other and, and even if a bunch of those trades made perfect sense like the boogie trade total no-brainer um but they ended up in a position where they had to make those deals because they didn't exercise any patience from the start and i think the, the sort of small market mentality played into that a lot the the boogie trade is also um ironic because you know, that was 23 months ago. It was All-Star Game 2017 um, when that went down. And within two years, you know, the Pelicans went from putting together this two-thirds of a super team, if you will, and now they're both 
probably going to be gone. But the ironic thing is that the Pelicans traded for Boogie with him and Anthony Davis' spot right now, with a year and a half left on his contract. Um, and in the end, they got nothing out of it. Uh, Boogie obviously got hurt, didn't play a playoff game for them, and walked for nothing. And they gave up. You know, at the time, we made fun of the Kings um, not getting enough in that deal. But, like, even if you look at a guy like Buddy Heald and what he's turned into, um, you know, the, the Pelicans gave up some stuff to get to get Boogie, and they ended up with nothing for it. And it's interesting that that might almost be a warning. Like, I, I still think Anthony Davis is worth it, obviously. But it, it serves as an interesting warning to teams that are now going to be on the other end of the spectrum, as the Pelicans were 23 months ago. Yeah, for sure. And, look, it's not like the small markets are completely doomed. Like, one thing I think – this sort of discourse has to stay away from is like the idea that small markets have to deserve every opportunity and deserve almost extra opportunities. Like, no, I mean, realistically, you know, the, the common thread and things like what's going on with the Pelicans or like what happened with Kevin Garnett and, and things like that is like, you know, these players decide to leave. What happened to LeBron, for example, these players decide to leave when there's really bad management and they decide, look, I only have this amount of time in my own career and you know free agency is really the only time where i can actually exercise um control over my career although nowadays i mean even two years in left in your contract you could still do that so maybe there's it's, it's changing but like players have a finite career and they you know have legacies they have um accolades they have endorsements they have um legacies and they have you know personal goals they want to accomplish and really you know you want to trust like your actual management group and your coach and what your organization to deliver those things for you. But if they can't give it to you, then like anyone else, you would up and leave. That's just what it is. Right. And um, that's why I don't really blame Anthony Davis for any of this. I, I really do feel like, um, you know, maybe if this happened 10 years ago, people would be really up uh, in arms and really angry at Davis. And, you know, there's a whole backlash about calling him on like unloyal or whatever, but like, or disloyal, but like, I don't feel that with them. I just completely understandable. I think anyone else, if if any of the two of uh, three of us were in Davis's situation and there was this opportunity to go play with LeBron and you know probably in Space Jam too and stuff like that, like yeah, I'd probably up and leave as well. Yeah, yeah. The Pelicans' I mean, I... performance as an organization has been disloyal to Anthony Davis's legacy. Yeah, um, you could say that. But one thing I'd add is I know um, uh, what Joe was saying is the Pelicans. You know, obviously they they almost like lucked into Brow and then seemed like so desperate to try to like make moves to get competitive and keep them there. But I'd also argue that, um, yeah, the last couple of years, especially, I think it was very clear that they were worried and like wanted to keep Anthony Davis happy. But I think if you look at his whole tenure there, I think a big chunk of what they were doing and like some of the win now moves they were making and some of the, the moves they were making without foresight was just, Oh, we want to sell some playoff tickets. Uh, they were always one of those teams that like seemed to be making moves for later that season to sell a couple home playoff games, even if it costs them a few years down the line. And that's why, like, I don't even know if I can defend them and say, oh, they were just trying to, like, keep Anthony Davis happy and making these win-now moves. Because I think it was a lot more of it was a selfish, um, like, short-term financial gain thing. And maybe we can't blame them for that. Maybe that's where the small market thing comes into. If you're in a big market um, – you know, even though it took the Knicks like 80 years to arrive there, like if you're in a big market, it should be more palatable, obviously, to um, to sell a, to a rebuild. 
you know, you're in a big market. You're probably selling out the arena most nights anyway. Or you've got good attendance. You've got a good, t- like, local TV deal. Um, you're not worried about a rebuild hurting your chances with free agents because they'll come eventually anyway if you can, like, turn it around. Whereas if you're in a small market like a New Orleans, um, you know, whatever. Memphis is a perfect example right now. Accepting a rebuild and, you know, stopping the win-now mentality must be a lot tougher. And maybe that's where small markets are a little hamstrung because they can't just throw it all away and rebuild or think two years down the line. They need to be thinking about selling those extra two playoff home games and, you know, keeping attendance at a certain level for a couple of years. And those are just things that, you know, teams like the Lakers don't really need to think about. Right. And if you're talking about a player wanting to go to a team like where there's better management, it's not like the Lakers have been particularly well managed for the last few years. So I think you know, that's where you start to compare it and look and say, okay, like LA, regardless of how they're managed is a glamor team in a glamor market. And things are going to be fine if I am playing there because other guys are going to want to come and play there. And, you know, even if they haven't done the best job of managing their assets over the years, like it doesn't, doesn't really make a difference. But like, if you end up stuck in new Orleans with bad management, then it kind of compounds the damage. And, you know, look, the, the Pelicans haven't made a first-round draft pick since the Davis draft in 2012. Uh, and that first-round draft pick was Buddy Heald, who is playing in Sacramento. So, um, like, they just made one too many mistakes. And, uh, you know, they made those the kind of mistakes that a franchise without any cachet can't afford to make. Like, their margin for error was just too slim. So, you know, if you're comparing apples to apples, it's like, I don't... If the Lakers were the same team that they are now, but we're playing in Charlotte, then I don't think that Anthony Davis is super excited to go there. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's end the podcast here. I mean, I think we all believe that the Lakers are probably in the front, uh, the front runners for Davis. And I don't know, some of the other teams listed there, the Bucks apparently are really offering everybody outside of Giannis and the Raptors are also in the mix, but um, give me some dark horses. Let's all make one dark horse prediction as to where, Davis might land uh, because I feel like look 29 teams in the NBA should be interested in Anthony Davis and um, so Wolfon I'll start with you where is it where will Davis land what's the dark horse contender for Davis um, my personal favorite dark horse is the Blazers um, they obviously in my opinion should have the motivation to make a deal like this given how sort of stagnant they have been in terms of their personnel and their their limitations and how those have been exposed in the playoffs. I think they, you know, they need to shake up the same way the Raptors needed one in the off season. And um, I think they have a pretty interesting package to offer. If they were to give McCollum and Nurkic and two Ooh. first rounders for Davis, and then they would also take back Solomon Hill's contract. I That's feel like good. that should be enough because it's first of all, much. You think so? I mean, so the, for the Blazers, like they had, then they get Lillard and Anthony Davis, which is killer. They yes. keep, they keep Zach Collins, and I think that's sort of where I would, like, I would hesitate to put him in the deal because, you know, with Davis being a flight risk and the Blazers not having any other real blue chippers, like I think they kind of need to draw the line there. But they keep Collins. They've got this bench that's done like a lot of damage this year. Um, I mean, I think that at least raises their ceiling to like conference finals level. And for them, like, you know, Woj in that piece was reporting on on teams that might have been interested in making a deal for AD that then might 
uh, turn around and flip him in the summer. I feel like the Blazers are a pretty good candidate to do something like that. And like they, they're the kind of team that doesn't really have to care whether he doesn't want to sign up there after his contract expires. Like they go for it this season and maybe next season as well. And I think they could be good enough to make a push. And for the Pelicans in that case, like they get all this term with McCollum and Nurkic. They have at least two more years of McCollum, at least three more years of Nurkic, and then they can keep Holiday, who they also have for like at least two more years. And I think from there they could maybe think about locking in one of Miritich or Randall, uh, who are both on expirings, and then and then trade the other one for like another long term asset. So they could stay pretty competitive in the present, but um, still improve their long term outlook a lot. Yeah, I like that trade. I like that trade. I mean, it's a, it's a lot better than the one I came up with. What's really was just the destination was more appealing than anything else, but. I think if you're the Pelicans, you probably try to trade Davis to the Eastern Conference. And, um, you know, I, I think he probably has his preferred destinations. And probably New York is on there based on the potential that New York could, you know, maybe make some other moves and bring another guy there. But um, I don't know. I also think the Knicks, are, it's just an unlikely thing. Unless they're going to take back Chris Tapps or, like, they're going to move the first-round pick that could turn into Zion Williamson. I don't think um, the Knicks have anything to offer, you know, to actually make this deal. So, you know. Another place in the East that uh, free agents do love coming to is Miami. And I feel like um, Pat Riley is obviously the type of guy that would go for uh, these big home run swings with superstars. And, you know, that's always been the way he's operated. And, I mean, Davis is look, – look, you know, like, like you mentioned about Los Angeles. Like, okay, the team sucks, whatever. But you can still sit there and wait and people will join you. And the, the city's warm and it's nice or whatever. Like, all that applies to Miami. Like, all that applies to Miami. So, um, the tricky th- part would be finding a trade. Like, I don't think putting Bam Adebayo and some expiring contracts together necessarily does anything. I mean, you probably have to dump, like, we're talking like three, maybe four picks um, to even get this deal done. But I, I feel like Miami should be a team that should be aggressively offering just about anything on the roster to go get Davis. Because they actually have a real chance to retain him. Yeah, the, this is what I was saying about the Heat like a few weeks ago too. Is the fact that they're not in on any of like the Kawhi sweepstakes, the KD sweepstakes, because they've capped themselves out with this extremely mediocre roster. Like it is a shame for them because you get the lure of South Beach and Pat Riley in a room with a free agent, and there's you know I might make them the favor to land a free agent, um, but even in this like trade scenario. Uh, I know Justice Winslow is playing well for them and Josh Richardson's good, but like, I don't know, like, do they really have a package that could beat out some of these other teams? And the fact that they probably don't, again, is just like a what? What have you done, Miami? You've like capped yourself into this um, mediocre team that's going nowhere, and now it's severely limiting your ability to get the kind of stars that Pat Riley usually craves. So it doesn't really make sense. Um, yeah, with Miami, my guy, course, I think like. Would be the, Golden Sorry. State. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, God. Um, although you could you could craft a trade around like Draymond and Clay, but that's oh, huge for there. Um, now, my dark horse team, and it's one that I think Kevin O'Connor mentioned it too. That executive said this is a team that could actually pull it off with the Pelicans liking their assets. It's Denver. Um, you'd end up with like a double big front court. I guess Brow would have to play power forward. But I mean, the Nuggets it seems like he likes playing like, power forward. What's that? I feel like he likes playing power forward. It's like a little bit Aldridge like. Yeah, I feel like most big men do. They, you know, 
even though in today's NBA, that's probably not that much banging down low. Like they seem to think it's better for their bodies if they play the four, which I guess it is. Um, but yeah, you send them to Denver. Um, the Nuggets already seem like, at least in the regular season, the clear-cut second best team in the West. Uh, if they add Anthony Davis to Nikola Jokic, I'm going to say they solidify that spot and maybe more. Yeah, and the Nuggets have like the type of pieces that I think would interest New Orleans because they're young. You can build with them. They're under team control for a couple years, if not more. And you know, if, if New Orleans does want to remain competitive and t- instead of completely bottoming out, like guys like Gary Harris, um, I like Will Barton, who's back and is playing well uh, after his injury. Jamal Murray, obviously, still on his rookie scale contract um you know michael porter jr hasn't played a game yet but i I think teams would be willing to take a flyer on him like the nuggets have some pieces and some of those guys are making decent money now like uh like harrison barton so they can match salaries they're a quasi contender like i think it does fit in a lot of ways except for the fact that davis is probably bouncing in a year and a half but i mean if like if you take rich paul at his word and i don't think any of us do that Brow just wants to like land in a situation where he can um, compete for championships for years to come. I'm going to say pairing him with Nikola Jokic, probably a good way to achieve that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there's there's going to be a ton of offers. I, I honestly, if you're a team in the NBA and you are not mentioned in some report in some way to making an offer to Anthony Davis, you should really look at your front office and say, what are you doing? Like, maybe Danny Ainge is the only one because he literally can't make a trade here. Although that's a real convenient excuse in this case. But still, like, if you are in the NBA and you are not making a trade offer for Anthony Davis, like, what are you even doing? Like, 25-year-old superstar, generational player becomes available and he's healthy. I mean, minus his minor finger injury, but, like, he's healthy. Like, you should be making a deal. And that's why this is such a big story. That's why it's going to be the biggest story in the NBA until at least the trade deadline. And if he doesn't make it, I mean, look, if he doesn't get traded at the trade deadline, then it gets even more interesting because then all of a sudden you have every single team, including the Celtics in the mix. And so um, this is obviously not a story that's going to be going away. Um, But I think that does it for the podcast for now. Uh, I think that everyone is now caught up on what's going on with Davis. For Cash, for Wolfond, uh, and for myself, we're signing out. Pound the Rock. 